Hello, friends, family. It is the weekend of Sunday, May the 7th, and we're beginning a new sermon series today on the letter of James. Um, it's a series that'll consist of about 12 weeks, um, give or take. Now, the letter of James is one of those letters in the scriptures which some of us love to hate, not because it's difficult to understand, but because we, I, find it very challenging. You know, it challenges our Christian life in every department, and it exposes areas within our lives which, which really need to be addressed. But before we get going and stuck into this letter, let, let's begin by sharing a story that I heard. I, I heard the story about a man who was at the cinema, at the movie theater, and he was lying on three seats, and the usher came up to the man and asked him to only use one seat, but the man just laid there and, and kind of moaned. And the usher said to him, excuse me, sir, you need to sit up and only use one seat. But again, the man just laid there. So the usher said to him, excuse me, sir, if you don't get up, I will have no choice but to go get the manager. Still, the man just laid there moaning. So the usher got the manager and he said to the man, excuse me, sir, you really need to get up and only use one seat. We need these other seats for paying customers. But still the man just laid there and just moaned. So the manager said, okay, sir, if you don't get up, I will have no choice but call the police. But still he didn't move. So a few minutes later, police came in. They asked the man, sir, what's your name? The man replied, Tom. And the police asked the man, and where did you come from, Tom? And the man looked up in the air and said, the balcony. And I guess the point of that story is that if something isn't moving, it's usually because there's something wrong. Now, we all know that not everybody who grows old grows up. And that's because there is a very different, uh, a vast difference, excuse me, between age and maturity. And because the church is full of believers who may be old in age, doesn't necessarily mean that they are mature as Christians. The Bible calls all Christians to grow into spiritual maturity. And if we don't, we end up just sort of lying there, moaning about everything around us. Believers who refuse to grow up are always going to have problems, problems in their personal lives, problems in their homes, problems in the church. And now a lot of these problems, most of the time are caused or a lot of time are certainly added to by our own immaturity. But if Christians would grow up, if we would grow into mature believers, then we could step into that place of being victorious and being victors instead of being victims. You see, friends, the letter of James was written with that exact purpose. It was written to help us understand and aspire to and attain spiritual maturity. And that's why he writes in James 1, 4, but you must let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so it's, it's my hope and my prayer that through this series of looking at the, at the book of James, we can help each other grow and push each other into another level of spiritual maturity. Now, if you or I receive a letter from someone, the first thing we usually find out is, well, who wrote the letter? And when, and, and when we're dealing with any book within, of letters within the scriptures, that's the first question we need to answer. So who wrote this letter? Well, thankfully, James chapter 1, verse 1 tells us the answer. From James. 
Now, although there are a few Jameses mentioned in the New Testament, most biblical scholars agree that the James whose name is mentioned in the letter is James, the brother of Jesus. And he humbly identifies himself only as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in James 1.1. Now, according to Matthew 13.55, we know that Jesus definitely had a brother named James. And we also know that according to John chapter 7, verse 5, that he didn't believe in Jesus at first. But after the resurrection, after the resurrection of Jesus and an appearance by Jesus to him, he became a disciple according to 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And from that point on, Jesus's brother became a great leader among God's people who were in Jerusalem, according to Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. And he must have been a very spiritual uh, man to gain such importance in the church at Jerusalem, Tradition tells us that he was a man of prayer, which would explain the emphasis on prayer in his letter. Tradition says that he prayed so much, his knees were as hard as camels. So tradition also tells us that James was martyred in 62 AD. He was cast down from the temple and then beaten to death with clubs. And as he was dying, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we mentioned when we received a letter, it's, it's good to find out who wrote it. It's also important to know, um, well, who was it written to? Well, again, the answer is found within, this, in, within the letter. In James chapter 1, 1, he writes, From James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tr- tr- tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. James wrote to Jews, to Jewish people, living outside the land of Palestine. Now, the 12 tribes is probably a reference to the people of Israel. In other words, the Jewish nation. Because remember that when the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, many of the Jews were scattered throughout different nations. And that's why we see references to many different nations in Acts chapter 2, 5 through 11. But that wasn't the only people he was addressing. James was also writing to Christian Jews. This is evident from the fact that at least 19 times he addresses them as brethren or brothers, depending on the translation. And so it seems from the letter that many of these Christian Jews were poor and oppressed. James chapter 2 Six through seven, but you have humiliated the man who is poor. Are not rich people the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the excellent name by which you have been called? You see, being a, a Jewish person would often mean being rejected by the Gentiles, but being a Christian Jew would also mean being rejected by your own people. And now we know that James wrote the letter, we know to, to whom he wrote it. But we also need to ask ourselves, why was it written? Well, again, if we receive a letter from someone through 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 uh, the old snail mail, we we won't know what it's about until we've read it. And after we've taken the time to read it through the entire letter, after we've taken that time, the letter of James, I think we will discover why it was written. It seems as though people were having problems in their personal lives and having problems at church. They were going through difficult trials. They were facing temptations to sin. They were hearers, but not necessarily doers. Some were catering to the rich. Others were oppressed by the rich. And some were competing for positions in the church. Improper use of the tongue was a problem, as as was worldliness. And some were straying from their faith. 
Does any or does all of that sound in any way, shape, or form familiar? Are Christians still suffering today for one reason or another? Don't we still have believers whose walk doesn't reflect their talk? Don't we all struggle with worldliness? Are there still Christians who can't control their mouths, their tongues, their speech, their words? And please don't think that James is addressing a host of different topics. He's addressing these issues because they are all related to one another. And there is one common factor in each of them. James is going to share with us over the next couple months that all these problems have a common cause. And that causes spiritual immaturity. He's writing to a bunch of believers who suffer from Peter Pan syndrome. Remember Peter Pan, the the boy who never wanted to grow up? All of us who have kids, who have children, know exactly how children think and behave. And I remember when Annie was, um, I think she was around four or five. She was young, and she was misbehaving. And in a, and in a bit of frustration, um, I, I said to her, Annie, act your age. And then I realized she was. <laughs> she was acting like a normal five or four or five-year-old child. But as children grow up in age, we expect their thinking and their behavior to improve. But as we all know, that's not always the case. And, and, and these we, we know that in our own lives. Um, we don't have to look at our kids as examples. We can look at ourselves. And, and, and these believers whom James is writing to are exactly the same. In James chapter 1, Verses 1 through 4, he's going to tell us to stop acting like children when it comes to difficulties. He's going to tell us to, to grow up and be patient because difficulties are there for a reason. And then in James chapter 2, verse 14, he's going to tell us to stop acting like children who say one thing but then live another way. He's going to, he's going to tell us to grow up and realize that faith alone is, is no good to anyone unless it has some legs attached to it. Then in James chapter 3, he, he's going to tell us to stop talking to each other like children and be careful what we say. He's going to tell us to grow up and use our tongue properly for the right reasons. And in James 4, he's going to tell us to stop acting like children when it comes to disagreements and wanting things that other people have. He, he's going to tell us to grow up and stop fighting and coveting. And then finally in chapter 5, he's going to tell us to stop acting like children when it comes to our toys is going to tell us to grow up when it comes to material things. So in other words, this letter was written to get Christian believers to grow up. That's why he uses the word perfect several times. Now, the word perfect means mature or complete. It's teleos. In other words, it, when he writes it in James chapter 3, verse 2, and says, for all of us make many mistakes, if someone doesn't make uh, any mistakes when he speaks, he is perfect and able to control his whole body. He doesn't mean that that person doesn't sin. He, he means that person is mature, balanced, grown up. And, and, and make no mistake about it. The, the, the Lord's Church, Jesus' Church, capital C, needs spiritually mature men and women today. Because if we were to visit some churches today, we find it's a bunch of little kids who won't get along with each other. In fact, someone once said, and I read that too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. And so friends, let's be honest with ourselves as we go through this challenging letter of James. Let's look into the, that divine mirror, God's word, and see ourselves as we truly are. Let's be honest about what we see and not just have a a quick glimpse and, and walk away. Let's look at the deep 
um, wrinkles of sin and the saggy eyes of worldliness. Let's look at our spots and gray hairs and, and allow God's word to help us grow into maturity. And let's do what his word says and not just merely sit here and say, I'm in as if everything uh, we look at applies to somebody else. <laughs> James chapter 1, 25. But the one who looks at the perfect law of freedom and remains committed to it, thus proving that he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of what it requires will be blessed in what he does. In other words, the blessing doesn't come from just studying his word. The blessing comes from studying and doing his word. Now, let me be honest. If, if, if we're ready to grow spiritually, if, if we're really ready to do this, well, our enemy is not going to like it. Our enemy, Satan, is not going to like this. So we need to prepare for some opposition. And when all is said and done, every piece of opposition we receive is going to be worth it. Listen to what James says in, in chapter 1, verse 12. How blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he's passed the test, he will receive the victor's crown of life that God has promised to those who keep on loving him. Mature Christians are happier Christians. Despite the trials they face, mature Christians are, are useful believers, overcoming the temptations that cross their paths. Mature Christians are Christians who help encourage others and build others up. Now, the first thing that James says we have to do to become a mature Christian is to recognize what we are. Look again at James chapter 1. He calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would James and other New Testament writers describe themselves as servants? Well, the Greek word used here is the word doulos, which means a slave. And what and that word will help us find the answer to as to why not only the early believers, but we today should describe ourselves as servants. When we, when we signed up to follow Jesus, we signed up to be a servant. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their superiors act like tyrants over them. That's not the way it should be among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's the way it is with the Son of Man. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of what it means to be a servant. And if we want to grow spiritually, we need to follow in his steps to serve, to be servants. In other words, if Jesus was humble enough to come and serve and give his life, then we too need to be willing to serve. But James didn't just serve anyone. Look again at James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're our servants, then we need to know who it is that we are serving. James was a servant of God and Jesus Christ, and so are we. And so, friends, the reason that James and the early Christians saw themselves as servants is simply because that's exactly what they were, servants. Now, we might be wondering, what's so appealing about being a servant? Well, I'll tell you, one of the signs of a mature Christian is in their attitude. Have you ever noticed how selfish kids can be at times? Let's be honest, how selfish we as adults can be at times. You know, sometimes all we care about is ourselves, as long as we're happy, as long as we get the things our way. In fact, one of the first words a very, very young child learns is mine. And they want everything done when they want it done. They, they cry when they're hungry. They moan when they want the diaper changed, etc. And in a very real way, a lot of believers are that way too. 
except we cry for different things. As, as immature Christians, sometimes we, it's, it's usually very selfish because we want things that are done in, 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 that, in their time, and they want it done in the way they want it done. And we're all guilty of that. Now, normally, as people grow older, they begin to concern themselves with the needs of others. And if they do, that's usually a sign that they're becoming mature. But if people remain selfish, it's a sign of immaturity. The Christian who serves uh, others is not selfish. They're just they're, they're, they're more concerned about meeting the needs of others. And when people who are more concerned with the needs of others rather than their own needs, well, spiritual maturity is at hand. They're practicing what Paul preached in Philippians chapter two, four through five. Do not out of, do not act out of selfish ambition, but with humility, think of others better than yourselves. Do not be concerned about your own interests, but also be concerned about the interests of others. Have the same attitude among yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. If we are the servants, that means that Jesus is the master. And when we think about the slave and master relationship, which is hard for us to think about. We can't help but think of that word obedience. The slave knows the law, knows no law, but their master's word. They, they have no rights of their own. They are absolute possession of their master, and they're bound to give their master unquestioning obedience. And I'm wondering if that describes my relationship with Jesus. Now, not only can't we help thinking about the word obedience, but being a slave involves the word humility, because it's only when we have a, a humble opinion of ourselves, we're open to the idea of complete obedience. Paul, the, 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 the man of faith as he was, he never lost sight of, of who he was as a person. He's, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, for I am the least of the apostles and not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's church. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace shown to me was not wasted. Instead, I worked harder than all the others. Not I, of course, but God's grace that was with me. So let's ask the question, does this describe our relationship to Jesus and to his will? I hope it does, because when Jesus' disciples were asking for faith, he answered in Luke 17, 7 through 10, suppose a man would, uh, um, among you as a servant plowing or watching sheep, would, would he say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and have something to eat? Of course not. Instead, he would say to him, get dinner ready for me and put on your apron and, and wait on me until I eat and drink, and then you, then you can eat and drink. He doesn't praise the servant for doing what was commanded, does he? That's that's the way it is with, with you. When, when you have done everything you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless servants. We have only done what we ought to have done. That's tough. Now, when we think of the word slave, we also have to think of the word loyalty. See, no one forced us to become a servant. We chose freely. And since we freely chose, it should be expected of us to be loyal to him first. That's what Paul's point is in Galatians chapter 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, Paul says, don't consider our own profit or preference important, but the one that we freely serve. Some Christian believers act as though we're being forced against our own will. But what they fail to recognize or realize is that none of us have to serve Jesus. And if we choose not to serve Jesus, then by default, we're serving something else. God, by his grace, has offered us salvation. And how dare we even grumble or complain that he, he calls us to a life of service and grateful appreciation. Yeah, being a servant's costly. 
Being a servant's demanding. But what a great honor it is, isn't it? We should take it as an honor to be called servant. Why? Well, simply because some of the greatest people we read about in the Bible were honored to be called servants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Job, Isaiah, all the prophets were called God's servants. And so, friends, if we want to grow into strong, spiritual, mature Christians and and serve God and Jesus with obedience, humility, and loyalty, we have to ask God, as the song says, make me a servant, make me like you. For you are a servant, make me one too. Make me a servant, do what you must do to make me a servant. Make me like you. Amen, and God bless.